Hey, one time when I was teaching about how the Holy Spirit fills us, it, I knew it was going to be a difficult concept to explain, so I wanted a visual aid to help. So I grabbed one of Heidi's flower vases from home, a glass vase, and I brought it in. I had a pitcher of water, and as I was teaching about how the Holy Spirit fills us, I was pouring water in the vase. It was an amazing and dynamic teaching. And the, the illustration really brought the idea home. I was so excited about it when I was done, I, I dropped the vase when I was packing up. It broke. When I got home, I said, Heidi, I'm really sorry. I grabbed one of your flower vases. I forgot to tell you I was using it, and I dropped it. It broke. She said, it's okay, as long as it wasn't my good one. <laughs> it turns out there's a gentleman named Simon Pierce who makes really expensive glassware, and that was the one. So I brought a visual today. <laughs> right? If I drop it, it's not going to matter much. If I leave it here, it's okay. I can get another one. This is not worth that much, right? What, what if I filled it with dirt and potted a flower in it? Would it be worth more? Would it be worth more than it is now? It depends what you put in it, right? I did something that I found fascinating this past week. I did a search for the most expensive flowers. And I found um, from a site called The Richest, where they named the most expensive of everything, the seven most expensive flowers... And I want to show them to you, starting with number seven and going to the most expensive. So number seven, I have to put my glasses on to make sure I get the names right. It's called a Glorioso. Glorioso. This one, um, it's a pretty flower, right? It's, it's unique. You can get it for six to ten dollars for a single flower. Expensive, but not bad, right? I put that in the vase, it raises the value a little bit. How about the next one? Number six. Number six is an old one. It's actually from the 17th century. It's called the Semper... Augustus Tula. This flower in the 17th century sold for $5,700. Just that one flower. It's interesting though, right? It's a cool looking flower. Uh, Number five on the list, fifth most most expensive, is called the saffron crocus. It's where you get the saffron um, spice from. This one, this flower sells anywhere from $1,200 to $1,500 per pound. Number four is called the Rothschild's Orchid. If you want this one, it's going to cost you $5,000. You did? Did you buy it? I've always wanted one of those, Belle. (laughs) It's beautiful live, I would imagine, right? Because the picture is just amazing. Uh, Number three, third most expensive flower, and my girls are going to just laugh at me at how poorly I pronounce this. It's called the Shenzhen Nonki Orchid. I practiced with Victoria uh, how to say this, and I just gave up, so I'm I'm sorry, Victoria. (laughs) This is not how you say it. This one costs, at auction, one stem sold for $202,000. Number two on the list, the Juliet Rose. The Juliet Rose. This one is beautiful, isn't it? Five million dollars. But then I did a little more research, and what I found out was that's what it costs to develop this. It doesn't grow naturally. It was created uh, to, to look like this. If you, but if you want to buy one, they're about 150 or 200 dollars a dozen. All right, number one on the list is called the Kadupal Flower. It's nicknamed the Ghost Orchid. Take a look at this because you will never see one. This blooms once per year at night, and by morning it's gone. It's priceless. They couldn't even put a number on it. Isn't that amazing? The ghost orchid. 
Now, if I took that ghost orchid, that caduple flower, and I put some dirt in here and put that in this clay pot, that would really raise the value, wouldn't it? And the reason I wanted to show you that and get you thinking about that is because that's a picture of you. The Bible says that's you. You're a clay pot. You're a common earthen vessel with a priceless treasure in you. Just like if I took that ghost orchid and put it in this cheap clay pot. This, and I don't mean cheap like, um, not, like worthless, because we're not worthless. We're common earthen vessels. But if I put that ghost orchid in this common earthen vessel, it, it would become priceless based on what's in it. And that's a picture of you and me. The Bible says that. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians. We've been looking at the book of 2 Corinthians, and I want to show you verse four uh, of chapter 4, verse 7, what Paul says here. And keep that picture in your mind as much as you can, that you, are a price, you hold a priceless treasure. Here it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, I've given you no context there, and we're going to look at the context, but what Paul is saying here in what he said leading up to it, come to this conclusion is that we are common earthen vessels. We are like jars of clay. But we contain the all-surpassing power from God. We contain the priceless glory of God in us. And it's really important for us to remember that and keep that straight. Because God says so. And sometimes we forget what a great treasure we have become. Because God has put his glory in us. God has put his spirit in us. God has put his value in us. He's the treasure. Jesus is the treasure. And he has come into this earthen vessel. He's come into this jar of clay, this clay pot. And through it has given me unsurpassed value, priceless. You can't even put a dollar figure on it. And same for you. Sometimes we forget because all we hear through life is how worthless we are or how we don't measure up or how we're not good enough or how someone else is better. I don't have a million dollars. I don't have a big bank account. I don't drive a nice fancy car. I don't have a lot of popularity. I'm not a celebrity. I'm not a famous person. And we hear over and over that we're just not enough. But God says, no, no. I have put my spirit in you and now you are priceless. You might be just a jar of clay. But you hold the glory of God. So let me show you what Paul's talking about here. And we have to back up even before 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we have to go into the end of chapter 3 to really understand what Paul's talking about in this one verse. And I'm going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. If you have your Bible, open it up. Here's the great thing about holding a Bible in your lap or even an app on your phone. You can look around. I just showed you one verse, and I'm going to show you what came before, but if I didn't do that, you'd have to, you'd have to trust me. And I know you do, and I'm going to give it to you straight, but it's so much better to have it in front of you. You can read ahead, you can read behind, you can say, what's all around this one verse? You can, grab your seats, think for yourself. Ooh, try it. (laughs) With a Bible in your hands, with a Bible in your hands. You open your Bible and you say, God, I'm going to read this. Help me understand what I'm reading. Teach me. And here's a really cool thing. I know you like to come here and be taught, and I do the best I can, but here's the really cool thing. God can teach you directly without me. 
You open your Bible and read it with an open heart and an open mind. And the Holy Spirit, who's a way better teacher than I am, will teach you directly. And here's how it works. I'm going to show you. You read one verse, you say, wow, treasures in jars of clay. What's that all about? And then you read to see what came before it. And here's what you find. Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. He says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses. He's going to make a reference now to an Old Testament event that if you're not sure about, I'll explain. But here's the reference. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Because what was happening with Moses is he was going up on Mount Sinai, you know, when he got the Ten Commandments. And he was in the presence of God. He actually was in the presence of God. And the glory of God rubbed off on him and it changed his face. So when he came down from the mountain, he was radiant with the glory of God. But as he was away from God, it started to fade because he was losing contact with God. And he didn't want to disgrace the glory of God and let people see it fade away and his old ugly face replace it. So he put a veil over it so they wouldn't see the glory fading. They would remember it in its fullness, in its full glory. That's what that means. So that's what Moses was doing. Paul makes a reference to it. He says, um, we're not like Moses who would have put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So Paul said a lot of things in there. And I'm just going to take a quick tangent, because um, some of the middle of that might be a little bit confusing, where it says their minds were made dull. When they hear about um, Christ, it's like a veil is over their eyes. But when they understand and they receive Jesus, the veil is taken away. You might remember over the last couple of weeks, I've made, I made a reference to other things Paul said like this. When we were talking about the aroma of Christ, that when we're around Jesus, we take on the fragrance of Jesus, the aroma of Christ. And Paul said to some people, it's the aroma of life. To others, it's the smell of death. And that week, as I talked about it, I said, when, when the fragrance of Christ goes out into the world, which is life, and people receive it, it becomes life to them. But when people reject it, it doesn't smell good. In another place, Paul said that the gospel, the gospel is Jesus came here for us. He loves us. He died on the cross. He gave us his grace and mercy so that we could be connected to God. That's the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel, Paul said, to some it's the, it's the power of God for salvation. And to others, it's foolishness. To some, the gospel saves us. When we say we believe it, our eyes are open and we understand and we say, this truth saves me. This Jesus who came here, I believe in him. I know who he is. He went to the cross. He loves my heart and he forgives my sin and he connects me to the Father. It's, it becomes the power of God for me. But for others who haven't chosen to believe in Christ, it just all sounds like nonsense. It all sounds like foolishness. And that's the reference Paul is making again here. He says, um, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When someone chooses to believe in Christ, all of a sudden everything makes sense. It's like veils, like blinders come off. And you can understand now. And not just, here's the amazing thing, and you tell me if this is true for you too. When you come to the point where you say, I believe Jesus is who he says he is. 
I believe he went to the cross. He didn't deserve it. I did, but he bought my pardon. He shed his blood for me, and I'm going to spend my life following him. All of a sudden, he makes sense, right? Before that point, sometimes he didn't. Did anyone have that experience? That before you really proclaimed your faith in Jesus, it sort of sounded like nonsense. Did anyone feel like that? Yeah, don't be shy. Put your hand up. Good. All right, so then you came to the point where you said, I I believe this. I accept it. Did it all of a sudden, there's like blinders came off and you understood? Put your hand up if that was your experience. Yeah, that's how it works. But here's here's the, the, the next question that happens for some people. This happened for me. All of a sudden, a lot more things make sense. All of a sudden, the world makes sense, and life makes sense, and eternity makes sense, and, and doing good for other people makes sense, and, and a lot of things click into place bigger than just Jesus, right? Was that your experience? Put your hand up so I, I'll know. That was mine. That's what Paul's saying here, is that when we come to a place where we believe in Jesus, it's like the blinders come off, and now we're seeing things as they are. But here's where I'm headed with it. It's the last part, the very last part. Let me read it again. It says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What Paul is saying there is the opposite thing happens to us that was happening to Moses. That Moses was with God, and the glory of God rubbed off on him, and it was on his face. And when he left God's presence, people saw it. They looked at Moses, and they didn't see Moses. They saw the glory of God. But it started to diminish, and he covered it. Paul says, it's the reverse of that for us. And here's why it's the reverse. As Moses was away from the presence of God, the glory wore off. We're not away from the presence of God. You're that clay pot. What's in you? The presence of God. Always. So what happens with you is instead of the glory fading over time, instead of the glory fading moment to moment and day to day, that glory increases because you're in constant contact with the presence of God. It doesn't diminish. And the Bible's saying, take the veil off and let people see it. Take the veil off and show the glory of God on your face. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Let him out. Let him out. Do you believe the Holy Spirit lives in you? The Bible says you're the new temple. The, Holy, the Spirit of God, the presence of God, used to reside in the temple. Behind a heavy curtain where the Ark of the Covenant was. And all the holy things happened. That God chose in those days to contain his presence in that room. But when Jesus came and he died on the cross, the thing that happened instantly was that heavy curtain was torn in two. And many people say it was because now we're all allowed into the presence of God. But I heard a preacher say once, no, it was to let the presence of God out. Not that he couldn't have gotten out on his own. But it was symbolic of now the presence of God is not in that room. Where is it? Where is, where's the temple now? It's in you. That's what the Bible says. I'm going to show it to you. It says it in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. Let me use today's verse to say it. Do you know where the presence of God is? It's not inside a beautiful, ornate temple anymore. It's in a clay pot. God moved his presence out from the holy of holy places and he put it in an earthen vessel, in a clay pot, in a jar of clay, in you. You're the new temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you. 
So Paul says, take the veil off and let people see. The all-surpassing glory of God. You're a clay pot, and inside of you is the all-surpassing, priceless, immeasurable, unnameable, indescribable, indefinable, undefinable presence and glory of God. But sometimes we don't feel like that, right? Heidi was um, telling me about a conversation she overheard this past week, and I could picture it because we know the, the situation. It was a dad addressing his eight-year-old boy in not a really nice way. And he said, you're supposed to be intelligent. Why are you doing that? You're supposed to be smart. You have no common sense. And we know the situation, and we know that the eight-year-old boy, for the eight years of his life, has gotten a steady diet of that. You're supposed to be smarter than that. You're supposed to be better than that. I thought you were the smart one. You have no common sense. You make all kinds of mistakes. And it, bro- it breaks our heart for the little boy. But it breaks my heart for some of us, really. Because I know some of you can relate to that. You might have grown up with the exact same thing. You might have grown up with a mom or a dad or a teacher or someone who should have loved you and respected you and valued you, who all they did was tell you you were worthless in many different ways as you were growing up, who belittled you or, or put you down or out of their own brokenness made you feel like you were broken and had no value. So it might be hard for you when I stand up here and say, you're a treasure now. It might be hard for you to accept that. It might be hard for you to receive that because it goes against everything you think about yourself already. But the Bible is true. And Jesus does not lie. Yeah, you're a common earthen vessel. You're a flesh and blood body just like the one sitting next to you. Well, different size and shape. Different gender. But you're an earthen vessel, a common earthen vessel. But you hold a a treasure that we can't even value. So you might think of yourself like this. But I want you to think of yourself like this with that ghost orchid in it. And that's not even really a fair comparison for God, right? A flower. (laughs) It's beautiful, but we're talking about Jesus here. We're talking about the Spirit of God, the presence of God. And all of his glory in you. The verses that came before that in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, read like this. Uh, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, Paul is talking about sharing this truth about the gospel and the value that God has placed in us. We don't lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What Paul is saying in there, right, in that passage, is, I'm going to paraphrase for him. It's, we have this great treasure. And we're not doing things out of our own power and our own imagination or even for our own good. What we're doing is trying to show you this great treasure so that you can have it too. That's what Paul is saying to the readers there. And then when we receive this great treasure, we're supposed to do the same thing. We're supposed to say, I've received this great treasure, the very power and presence and mercy and grace from God. And I have this. Let me share this so you can have this treasure too. That's what Paul is saying there. 
And even if, yeah, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And it was right after that that he said, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. I'm sorry, I actually didn't put it up there. Uh, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. So we have in us the all-surpassing glory of God. And I'm going to make you say this with me. Now, I don't always like, you know, I'm gonna, I actually be honest. When I'm sitting out there, I hate when people do this. But I'm going to do it to you anyway. <laughs> you know, when you, have you ever been in, um, you know, someone's teaching and they say, turn to the person next to you and tell them, you're made in God's image. And then you have to turn to the person next to you and say, you're made in God's image. And the person sends it back to you. And that's how I feel while I'm doing it. Did you, have you ever been in one of those groups? All right, Steve, please erase the last 30 seconds of that video. But I'm going to do it to you. But you don't have to turn and say it to the person next to you. I want you to just repeat after me. I want you to say these words. I am a clay pot. I'm a jar of clay. I am common earthenware. But I hold the glory of God. I don't think you've convinced me. All right, I'm just going to give you the last part of that. We're going to say, I'm common earthenware. Yeah, I didn't cue you very well. I'm common earthenware. But I hold the glory of God. All right, now if you believe that, I want you to stand up when you say it. All right, and we're going to say both parts again. And you're going to stand up when you say, but I hold the glory of God. All right. I am common earthenware, but I hold the glory of God. You see, that's true about you. Now, I'm going to close this in a prayer while you're all standing. God, I thank you that you have placed your all-surpassing glory in us, your power, your presence, that we could live close to you and knowing you, that we, didn't have, we don't have to leave your presence like Moses did, but we can... Stay in contact with you because of your spirit. And so now, Lord, as we go our way, help us to remember that and live with unveiled faces and show your glory. In the name of the one we love and serve, Jesus Christ. Amen.